0: It's a Guy Jeans Podcast. Hey, you guys. My next guest is Malcolm Bruce, who is the son of Jack Bruce, the famous bass player for the band Cream. And Malcolm has put together a really cool project called Heavenly Cream. It's an acoustic tribute to Cream. And he's got all these cool players playing on it. Ginger Baker, the original drummer, actually plays on it. And Pete Brown, the lyricist uh, for Cream, is also singing on it. Um, there's also Joe Bonamassa on the album. Malcolm uh, Malcolm Bruce, of course. Bertie Martin, Pee Wee Ellis. Uh, Abbas Dodo. Um, Deborah Bonham. And uh, Peter Bullock. Nathan James. Just to name a few. But there's a whole bunch of people. And they've redone... All these different uh, famous songs by Cream, uh, including I Feel Free, White Room, Theme of an Imaginary Western, uh, We're Going Wrong, Sunshine of Your Love. Uh, Ginger Baker's playing on that. Joe Bonamassa is uh, singing on that. Malcolm Bruce is playing on it. Bertie Martin's playing on that track as well. So sit back and listen to my conversation with Malcolm. He's an amazing uh, musician, he plays everything. And uh, he got together, all these people, and they recorded at Abbey Roads in England, and uh, it's a really great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to him. So sit back and enjoy. Malcolm, how you doing?
1: I'm really well, Guy. How's it going?
0: It's going great, man. I'm super stoked to have you on the uh, show and talk to you about your new project and, and all that. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. So how,
1: how did this new project come about? Well, it's kind of like a family affair, really. Um, Pete Brown, the cream lyricist, um, approached me back in 2018. So it's been a long time coming. He sadly passed away earlier this year. But he, he basically put the whole thing together uh, with uh, this record label Quarter Valley, and then approached me to get involved, approached um, Rob Cass, the producer to get involved and then uh, his film collaborator, a guy called Mark Waters, came in and um, to shoot a documentary about the making of the record. So that's coming out at the same time, you know, alongside the, the album. So yeah, it's been a labor of love really back five years ago and um, once we had that core team, we, we started reaching out to other people. We got Bernie Marsden from Whitesnake involved early on. And then uh, just started piecing it together, seeing who we could get on board. The amount of and you know the prem the premises like obviously Cream are known there. You know it's blues rock music, but the idea was to do a, an acoustic tribute to the to the band, um, but not like coffee house acoustic, more like just not electric instruments, but still full band arrangements and stuff like that. So, so yeah, uh, uh,
0: the amount of. Uh, musicians you have on the record is unbelievable and the the quality musicians you have on on the record would you mind talking about that
1: oh absolutely yeah i mean we we were fortunate to we asked we reached out to ginger baker early on and he agreed to come in and obviously ginger was the original drummer in cream so yeah you know I've, i've known ginger a little bit over my whole life um but it was really nice that he agreed to come in and do it and it ended up being his final recording session before he passed away um so you know that in a way he's the most important person on the record because he was one of the original guys him and Pete Brown obviously who wrote quite a lot of the words for the song so yeah so from there you know we just started reaching out we got Joe Bonamassa to come in um on on some tracks with Ginger and Paul Rogers from free and Bad company um, and Bernie Marsden, who I mentioned already from white snake and his yeah. bandmate, Neil Murray, the bass player from white snake. Um, who else? Uh, oh, Deborah Bonham. Yeah. The amazing Deborah Bonham. So she's John Bonham's sister. Yeah. Uh, younger sister and, uh, Maggie Bell from a Scottish band called stone, the crows, an incredible singer. Um, Bobby rush, uh, Legendary guy uh, from yeah. the US. So I, you know, came...
0: you know, what was incredible. Is um, I'm going through the list of all the musicians, and I'm like, oh man, I, I can't believe he got Pee Wee Ellis. You know, um, James. Yeah. You know, James Brown's sax. One of James Brown's saxophone players and musical directors. I thought that was pretty cool. And yeah,
1: Pee Wee. Um, Pee Wee was actually living in the UK with his wife. Um, he sadly passed away as well. Um, but he had been living in the UK for one. He was actually playing in Ginger Baker's band, okay. so they had a connection already. Um, but it was yeah, it was just wonderful. I mean, I I spent the day with Pee Wee, and he was just you know the most humble, chilled out guy. Yeah. For me, but it's like, dude, you know, you wrote the chicken, and you were in, <laughs> you were like James Brown's musical director, man. Like, but you're yeah. like this nice quiet kind of polite man you know you're not like some big egotistical whatever you know and i think yeah. that's my experience as i go through and as i've been through my career so far is like if i'm around these incredible people that have done these incredible things most of them tend to be pretty humble you know? they do <laughs> huh? absolutely yeah, so. i'm going through the
0: list too and i was you know kind of researching all these people they, everybody seems in some way or another connected um uh-huh. you know to you and and the band in some way and i'm i'm checking yeah. out all the people that are playing on all these in uh, um, i hope i say this right but abbas uh Dodu, the percussionist
1: yeah abbas
0: is amazing yeah.
1: he's a good friend of mine he's a yeah. you know incredible uh musician from Ghana. Um, and he was in Ginger's band as well. And he was Ginger's friend and uh, bandmate. And, um, but I become friends with him. I met him. So when I, in 2016, I put a tribute to my dad together. Uh, he passed away actually today, nine years ago, believe it or not. Um, so, so two years after he passed in 2014, I did a tribute in London at Shepherds Bush Empire, um, for my dad and and we asked, I, I emailed Ginger and said, hey man, do you want really? And he's like, yeah, I'll come. So Ginger came and but Abbas sort of accompanied him to look after him because Ginger wasn't that well. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time I met uh, Abbas back in 2016 and then since then we've done a few different collaborations and we've done shows together and stuff. He's just an amazing guy and um, great person to be around. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then um, I was, uh, there was a, another gentleman named Mo Foster um, that looks like he yes. he played bass a little bit um, on one of the tracks. Yes, Mo has actually yeah.
1: passed away this year as well. It seems like it's really strange time. I mean, it seems like a certain generation of, of kind of le- some of them are certainly leaving us at this point. So there's a whole bunch yeah. on this record, and yeah, as I said, it, because it was made five years ago, um, a few a number of people have passed passed on since then so Mo was uh, a a not well known name so much like in the big picture but as a session musician he was legendary played with everybody from you know uh, Jeff Beck and just everybody uh, sort of who's who um, you know artists from the 70s on really and and, uh, you know but even like playing with more like musicians musicians like Simon Phillips or you know the drummer uh, and Simon was in my dad's band when mm-hmm. he was 17, but then ended up doing the Mike Oldfield stuff and then uh, famously joined The Who uh, after Keith Moon passed and was in Toto, all kinds of bands. Simon uh, lives in L.A., actually. Um, so, you know, it's, yes, I think you're right. I mean, yeah. I guess that kind of works like that. Yeah. You tend to have a network of people that are all connected either directly or indirectly and you know even paul rogers who we we have on this record um his first big band obviously um was free and andy fraser was the bass player in free and i knew andy i did a tour as his support act he in his his final uk tour that he did uh, in the uk about 10 years ago and andy when he was a teenager was in the alexis corner blues Incorporated, which was one of the first bands that my dad was also in in the sort of early 60s so they all kind of shared the same circuit same scene you know i guess it's a bit like now like yeah. where you are on the west coast i bet you there's like a bunch of bands that oh, know yeah. each other and play the same show. Yeah. but then it was a much smaller thing and so, so so yeah i think uh it's just like who's in the phone book <laughs> who right. <can> we call? <laughs> or who knows this phone? and you know but, Marsden, uh just an amazing another amazing guy Such such a great spirit you know and but he had a sort of friendship with joe bonamassa you know yeah. um and so it kind of made it a little easier for us uh to sort of, sort of get a message to joe and say "Hey, are you up for this and uh, we were fortunate that he agreed so so yes it's uh it's not what you know, it's who you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, man, so sunshine of your love with uh with Joe singing is already out, is that right like it's uh um, was
1: the first single that yeah was being released yeah
0: God he yeah. sounds great, man
1: yeah, I know his voice I, I actually thought his voice sounded really awesome on um on that track, yeah, I mean, I was standing next to him when he was, we basically did the tracking we did the basic tracking together, uh-huh in Abbey Road uh, Studio 2 for that song. And um, and then he spent a little bit of time doing overdubs, so he did he did the vocals again, and he did a guitar solo kind of slide thing. So um, but basically the tracks were, you know, we played together in the room, and then just a little bit of fixing and a little bit of overdubbing. Awesome.
0: You know, I was reading uh, Mo Foster was uh you know the uh, played on your your record as well but he says something about how he was uh you know influenced by your dad and his bass playing. Did you yes. have you known that?
1: Yeah. I mean he actually came to um so when at uh, the tribute that I mentioned in two thousand sixteen I just you know actually it was me and Pete Brown we kinda of spent it was like giving birth, you know, like nine months of the year this thing together and reaching out to everybody and you know we have mick taylor from the stones and lulu singing and oh, no way. uh dennis chambers flew over who's like oh, the most awesome. incredible drama um gary husband the drama um corky lang who's a friend of mine from west bruce and lang and also mountain um And uh, and Mo came and played, and also Jeff Berlin, for those of you that uh, are more into the kind of jazz fusion thing that might know Jeff's name, Um, and just lots of people like that. So, yeah, Mo had been around, and I think, you know, I mean, Jeff Berlin just did a a tribute record to my dad because they were friends, and Jeff is a huge, you know, he cites my dad as his biggest influence. So I think for a certain generation of people, that came slightly after my dad in terms of their careers, I think a lot of people do cite him as an influence. And, you know, I'm very proud to yeah. to hear that of people talk about that, because I think, you know, that's the thing about my dad. He kind of um, freed the one of the, uh, a few people from that time that freed the instrument up, you know, and we still get caught. I think we still, as musicians, get kind of caught up in, mm-hmm. The rigid roles of being a musician. Okay, you're the bass player. You've got to sound like this. You're the guitarist. You've got to be like this. Yeah. And actually, of course, the instrument is a particular kind of instrument. It makes a particular kind of sound. But within that, there can be a, a more free way of expressing yourself on the instrument, rather than just playing the root notes all the time and standing in the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So was he kind of known for like improvising and and uh, taking it to other places? Kind of a bass player is that why so many people were influenced by him
1: yeah i think so i think you know my dad came from a he was classically trained and had studied jazz and then discovered the blues and um so he had all these kind of disparate influences so he which just meant he didn't see it he didn't you know a lot a lot of people in popular music back then came to it from like listening to records and not really studying music in the wider context, and I think that's what perhaps gives you know what my dad brought to the table was something a bit more, um, a bit more knowledgeable, a bit more uh, in-depth, insightful knowledge about uh, music in the wider context, the history of music, uh, you know, Stravinsky or. Johann Sebastian Bach or what, you know, and so you're just looking at music more as an expanded idea, not just this, okay, blocks of chords, and then this is how it's supposed to sound. And I think that in with Cream, certainly you're hearing that. You're hearing three musicians that are very um, very much expanding the vocabulary of music by by exploring, you know, by being open to trying things out, and moving in directions that perhaps other people thought wouldn't have thought of. And, you know, so to, to me, Cream was a really important band in that sense. It was For a sure. band that, that improvised, you know, and um, so it was never the same a, a twice, and it, that, there's a good thing about that and a bad thing about that, yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, because sometimes you do need things to be re- repetitive, and, you know, okay, that's what it's supposed to be, but but also the orga- the organic element of what music can be can just really open up uh, a sense of possibility. Uh, so, that to me, in a way, that's what can be exciting the, the possibility of something being forever new, you know. Yeah, and just creating
0: it on stage, man. How fun for the audience and the fans. I mean, God.
1: absolutely.
0: Oh, my God. So,
1: but I think back then it was my it might have been something to do with the drugs they were taking. I have no <laughs> idea. Right. 57 years ago or something now. So, I don't know.
0: So I'm 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 looking at all the songs on this uh, new record, and and obviously you're a musical talent. You play on every single track. I think it looks like you. Okay. And I see that you're playing like multi instruments. You're playing the piano. You're playing the guitar. I are you playing the bass on one of the songs too? Yeah. I, yeah. So I, my question to you is okay. So. Your dad, uh, obviously an amazing bass player, what about like his dad and his family like you know uh, were they musically inclined as well? Is that where that comes from?
1: Um, not really. I mean my grandmother I think she sang a little bit, um, uh-huh. and there was certainly an awareness of music and Scottish folk music which was a big formative influence on my father but um, I think he just had a talent maybe back in. Somewhere back in the generations, there were other musicians, but Uh I'm not sure. But I mean, my I think my um, my grandfather played uh, the mandolin a little bit um, and probably played the piano. You know, I think going back to those generations, um, the early, you know, two or three generations back, I think it was, you know, for all of us, it would be more normal that family members would play the piano around the house or whatever because we didn't have. Televisions and yeah. satellites, <laughs> satellites right. and these laptops and iPads and right. you know we like okay what are we going to do ah oh, well maybe I'll practice piano you know yeah <laughs>
0: I find I, you it's know, a I've,
1: different
0: time for sure I find it that that stuff really interesting and you know like when you were mm. growing up and and uh, you know obviously you know seeing your dad play and stuff did that have a big influence on you becoming a musician or is it just in your blood you just had to be a musician i mean how did that go down
1: yeah I'm, I'm not sure i can um sort of extract that i think it was inevitably inevitably would have had an influence on me but i also fell in love with making music uh, yeah. from a very early age i was when i was doing having classical piano lessons by the age of about five and then i maybe took a break and started again at nine and ten or uh-huh. and then when i was in Secondary school or high school—I guess you'd call it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was <used to, laughs> doing—I get confused, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I played the. I studied the violin for about seven years,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, and carried on the piano, and then and picked up the electric guitar when I was about ten. The bass guitar when I was about seven or eight, um, and I've sung all the way through. So, I mean, I think it's just—you know—that was became what i was attracted to it you know, i played sport when i was a teenager i was pretty good at it yeah i was you know but i always i kind of got to a point where, where i just thought wait a minute i'm gonna i've got to protect my fingers <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely and I, i'm more interested in girls and music forget this yeah. sport thing yeah man <laughs> absolutely so, so uh you know i think it was just you know it's inevitable that i I fell into it, and I think by the age of eight, nine, ten, I was—I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a musician um, and pursue that, so I, I just uh, kind of got into it, really. Was, was your dad... And my dad was always there. Uh, was,
0: was he always, like, you know, pushing you and stuff like that, like, hey, you know, keep doing it, or was he in, into you being a musician? Yeah, he was
1: encouraging, but he wasn't pushy at yeah. all. No, I think my yeah. dad, I really was... My dad was just... He was he was complicated and he had a shadow side, a dark side and lots of different things going on. But, okay. but gener- like all of us, you know, but, um, yeah. but gen- generally, um, he wasn't controlling, you know, so he, mm, want, he encouraged people to ex- be themselves. And, you know, um, if like one of my sisters is uh, actually uh, making films, you know, she's so, oh. so like, she, she didn't pursue music. Uh, one of my other sisters is a songwriter, and my one of my brothers is a drummer and and i 'm a musician so like but it could have gone any direction, and those people they may or may not have huge careers in those things because they 've got other interests too you know it 's like yeah my dad wasn 't like okay you 've got to be a musician right okay i 'm going to you are not allowed to go out until you 've practiced like that was me doing that. I was the one that had to sort of motivate myself. Yeah, And I think in a way that's, it's a strange thing, like some parents are, I mean, I have a daughter, so I'm kind of talking partly from experience, but you know, <laughs> you want to, you want to be a disciplinarian as a parent, but at the same time, you're working with a whole human being, a whole separate human yeah. person, you know, and you have to respect that as well. So, yeah. so as much as, you know, parents always go into it thinking like some, most parents think, oh, I'm going to this is going to happen and I'm going to control this and this is going to be, I'm going to create the perfect child, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but by the end of it, you're like, ah, whatever, man. You know, <laughs> do what you want. Just leave me alone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can you can you remember the first time that you played music with your dad or, di- or, or
1: did you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I was, you know, I mean, I have lots of memories but I can certainly remember around the age of seven or eight. I, th- I think I've even got recording somewhere where oh I that's cool love it I think I wrote a song called Goldland or something like that and I it's, I played
0: at seven played
1: it and sang it <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's so cool I love it and he's playing I think somebody's playing drums and he's playing bass and I'm playing guitar and I'm sort of screaming out this song um, I, yeah that's I'm so gonna cool. have to try and dig that up <laughs> yeah so I mean from very early on and then we would just we would uh, play music together improvise a lot just around the house, and then, uh-huh. um, and then as I got older, I actually started helping him with in the studio with his records. Like sometimes I I did play on a bunch of his records, but oh, also awesome. just kind of uh, being in a supportive role, like I because I write music as well, so I was transcribing parts and all kinds of things, to s- sort of in a supportive role. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was very much involved with my dad and, and uh, learned a lot from him, but at the same time. Learned a lot from just to, to Making music You know That's we, we all have our own path Ultimately You know Yeah I think um, We have to stand on our own To feet eventually um, Hopefully
0: <laughs> Yeah So is the name of the Is the name of the album Heavenly Cream uh, Is it Is it, is there a reason for that name?
1: <laughs> yeah I mean We were Like the working title Was Cream Acoustic Because was, yeah. You know Acoustic yeah. And then the label came up with heavenly cream, so I think it is a little bit of a kind of irony, yeah, play yeah. on words, because you know yeah. Ginger, yeah, Pete and Bernie are not with us anymore. So so you know maybe it's a little bit like it's heavenly. You know, cream is it's like the the taste of cream is heavenly, but it's also that these wonderful people are now kind of looking down on us from heaven, um, as it were. And and there's a do- you know the documentary. It's yeah. become quite um you know, it's like a little historical record of of that time with those people who are no longer with us. So it's quite a special thing in a way. What a what in an
0: what an honor to have them play on the record. You know what I mean? And um have their talents on the record and then, you know, be able to listen to them, you know, one last time, basically. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mm-hmm. mean it's you know, it's just um yeah, I think looking back on on the whole thing i think it was a special special little moment with all those wonderful people um and yeah, yeah. i mean life's a strange thing right yeah. i mean we we take everything for granted but it's just passing by really yeah. um i mean this you know the eternal sense of things is going to always be there but but in terms of the content and people coming and going and can't hold on too tightly to any of it really yeah. otherwise you might get Upset by stuff, and that's you want to enjoy your life, so so you know, it's sad that people leave, but they, but having said that, you know, all these people had incredible, incredibly rich, productive, loving life. You know, Pete Brown, I knew my whole life, and I've, yeah. I've written a bunch of songs with Pete myself. Um, I'm making a record that's coming out next year, and and um, I've got about three co written songs with Pete on that. And, but you know, looking back on Pete's life, he just had a great you know um i mean after we did this recording with uh heavenly cream i think he started writing songs with joe bonamassa so there's a bunch of
0: okay. co-writes
1: that he did with joe and proko Harum, and all kinds of he just he did so many different collaborations with all kinds of people and and ginger obviously what an incredible life he had and um bernie marsden um so the people that left us you know they had they had great lives. So I, you know, I like to frame it. I sort of choose to frame it like that, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, if somebody worked in, if somebody worked down the coal mine for their whole life and died a terrible death in poverty, then I might be like, oh man, what a waste. But these guys had it pretty good, you know. Yeah. They had, uh, they had sort of uh, an amazing time and, and lived life on their own terms. So, so I think we can celebrate them in that way. I think that's the best way to do it, you know, um, not to feel bad to actually. Yeah.
0: positively what was it like i'm gonna pick a song here so like yeah like let's say crossroads and you know ginger baker bernie was on it joe was on it and you were on this on this track right and so what's it yeah. what's it like for you guys how does that whole process work where you guys are you guys all meeting at the studio and saying okay let's work on this song or are you guys working at it prior and then meeting in the studio how did that how does that song go down how does that get recorded
1: well i mean i think you know i think the the, pos- the good thing about this kind of music is that it's they've all become these songs have more or less become like standard yeah uh, right yeah songs absolutely. In the rock uh for sure canteen, you know so so you know you don't really need to okay i'm just gonna go home and practice the riff <laughs> right? You because know? <laughs> yeah. i don't know how it goes it's uh-huh. like it, and if it's the sort of thing even if you don't quite know what the form is you you can just all um jump in and figure it out and, it, with uh, you know run through it once and then you kind of got it um okay. but i mean i'm sure all of us have played it a million times i mean i certainly played it live a million times and yeah. i'm sure joe has played it a bunch of times and ginger's played it a bunch of times sure. and, and uh bernie and everybody that's everybody that's kind of into rock music and blues and everything so so um yeah we were in the studio together in Abbey Road um and just uh went okay one two one two three four <laughs> Oh, <Not> really okay <laughs> <laughs> or whatever we did i don't know. Yeah. I mean you know you know how it is i mean i know you've got a, you've, yeah. you're involved with lots of bands and you yeah. know music talented musician yourself so you know yeah. it's the process of um Collaboration—you don't want to overthink these things. You kind of yeah. there's a stuff you can talk through, but you can also mm-hmm. just feel things through. Mm-hmm. And uh, and certainly with this kind of music, it's just feel thing. Like all oh, great music, it, it ends up even if you're sitting there reading uh, complex contemporary classical music uh, with polyrhythms and uh, you know complex meter and all of that. You're still there's still a lot of feeling it in the body and feeling it how does that phrase move across time um mm-hmm. and listening to what other people are doing and responding and, mm-hmm. and locking in with other people and all that kind of stuff you know and if yeah. it happens to be somebody who's got a famous name then it's best not to think of You know. <laughs> yeah oh my god it's ginger baker on the drum i <laughs> it right? play really well Right, yeah, right
0: so after after you guys record like the basic tracks and stuff do you guys go back in the control room and just like are you guys like high-fiving each other going that was killer that was awesome or are you guys like really <laughs> listening to it or what What are you guys doing at that point
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's um you know we're working with rob Cass, the producer who's great um uh-huh. so you know it's quite business like in a mm-hmm in that kind of situation, but we're having fun at the same time. So yes, we've, you know, uh, it's Abbey Road. Uh, it's the, as far as I remember, those, those particular days were in um, Studio Two, which is the Beatles studio, yeah. the famous one So the, so you've got the room and then you've got the staircase that, that goes up to the actual control room. Um, so yes, we were walking, we were tracking and then having a listen um, and doing overdubs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really nice, you know, when you solo, when you get a great take and you can solo Ginger Baker on the board and go, wow, that's really something. It's he, so cool. He, I love it. I love his, it. his, his, um, his musicianship is just yeah. astonishing. So, um, so yes, uh, just, you know, like any studio, but yeah. I guess, I, I, you know, a certain kind of business like approach to it in terms uh-huh. of timing you're not you don't want to waste time sure there's a lot to get done sometimes um but sometimes you find you get it all done and then you still got time to spare so you, you can relax a little bit but what's the but yes
0: what's the vibe down. like in in abbey road what's the you know like if you were to, if i was the walk in there you know no never been in there before you know this is like a, a very famous studio of course the beatles and yeah many many other musicians have been there, oh, yeah. and it's like it's got this amazing, you know, history. And you know, what's it like walking into that studio, knowing you're going to record music there?
1: Well, I've done a few projects there now of the years, and I hope mm-hmm. to do more. I mean, I think it's it's a mixture of things. It's always exciting to go there, just because it's got it's got a an atmosphere to it that you know. I guess it's a bit like going to church. You know, yeah, everybody goes. Good. Everyone yeah. goes to the same place. Do the same thing; it creates, yeah. you know, in, you know, continual impressions of a particular intention, mm-hmm. and so you go, You do go into um, into Abbey Road and feel that you know you feel, oh, and also the instruments. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the piano we were using is called a Challen C H uh, A L L E N. It's and they have two of them. They're just old upright pianos. They're not expensive high you know top line Steinways or something they are challenged pianos and they're old but they maintain them and those pianos have been there forever and they have the uh, the one they call Mrs Mills which famously after uh, <laughs> a, a piano player called Mrs Mills who was very famous around the time of the Beatles who played sort of pub music um, but she was brilliant like sort of stride piano old style piano and it's kind of the sound of a honky ton- almost like what you guys would call a honky-tonk, so it's like a slight yeah. off tune within itself. Um, and they maintain these instruments, you know, um, which have been, you know, so the challenge were on the Pink Floyd stuff um, as well. So you get the actual sound of those instruments, but you also get the sound and the depth of those rooms themselves. So that's always exciting. You're in the sonic space, is recognizable on so many of these iconic records. But it's also just a working studio. It's got three main studios in there. Mm-hmm. Studio one is the, is the very big room where they do orchestral recordings um, for Hollywood movies. Um, they've done many, many big movie scores there. And then studio two and then studio three are the smaller rooms, but they're still pretty big. Um, I'm very versatile depending on how they're set up. So, so yeah, it's just a, a working studio. It's got a great little, uh, cafe restaurant. Um, oh, some days really? you'll go in there and the, the whole of the London Symphony Orchestra are having their, uh, fish and chips or whatever they might be having. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, so yeah, it's good. It's great. It's, it's very well run. Uh, they have a great mic. Uh, mm-hmm. Collection thousands and thousands of these incredible microphones, um, you know Neumanns and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. Uh, it's cool. Well, I'm you know I'm a
0: songwriter as well, and obviously you're uh, an amazing songwriter as as well. And I wanted to talk to you about your songwriting and and how you go about writing songs. And uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you create a song? Um, and, sure. and the process, and and you know, do you you have like a formula that you use, or is it just kind of open, and you kind of just go with with whatever comes comes to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm learning all the time, and I think each thing I do tends to have. I have to kind of start from scratch again. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on the style of music, you know. If you, you know, if, if you set out with an intention, okay, I'm going to write a three and a half minute song that is a you know a kind of commercial song with verse chorus middle eight then you then that gives you a little bit of a structure yeah um but within that um it could be anything uh, sometimes i'll write lyrics first and then set it to music which oh. i find a bit easier to be oh. honest okay um because i can write music in my sleep i can write endless music i can improvise songs in one go you know it's not a problem yeah, to come up with musical ideas all the time, but uh-huh. if I've done that and then I've got a melody and go, okay, now I've got to fit what I've got to fit all the words to that melody, then I've got to try and work out what the words should be to the melody rather than f- more f- more freely just write a poem, as it were, and then set that to music. So, so I mean, just from the outside thinking about it, words first would make makes it easier for me to write a song, mm-hmm. but it's that doesn't always produce the best results so sometimes I'm doing both at the same time uh just depends but as I say like uh, every time I'm writing I I'm learning something new and I'm also writing jazz stuff and classical stuff as well which is a whole okay slightly different process as well I'm writing opera at at the moment okay um so that's a long process but but yeah yeah, I mean songs it's interesting isn't it I mean it's um Uh, do you... And I think it's like lyrical content, you know, for me right now, I mean, I'm in the middle of making this record. It's called fake humans and real dolls. So I'm, it's like social commentary and it's also been exploring myself. Um, so I think that's the thing mm-hmm. as a songwriter. What do we, do we go, okay, I'm going to write a song and I'm going to make up an imaginary story about somebody. And it's a love story and she left and he's really upset. And so he's hitting his head on, on his, uh, kitchen table and then he, <laughs> then he goes, no more, I'm not going to hit my head on the kitchen table anymore, I'm going to stand up and hold my head up high and get another girlfriend, uh, or whatever it is, yeah. you know, but, or yeah. is it like from real life experience, mm-hmm. uh, or is it looking out of what, you know, what the terrible things that are going on in the world and how can we turn that around collectively, or, mm-hmm. you know, how can we stop spreading, spreading hate, or what it, is it coming from real life experience? Mm-hmm. Or is it some? Or is it like writing to order, sitting down, going, oh, "What is a song supposed to be like?" You know. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, that guy wrote a song like that. Should I write about that sort of thing? Because then it right. will be accept. So, I mean, these are the questions I think as <coughs> us as artists we have to mm-hmm. we're confronted with. You know, because there are songwriters that write to order. You know, because that's what's expected. Yeah. and then there are writers that write from their beat, from their core experience their being who they really are what they're trying to express as a human being rather than just writing because there's an expectation to write in a certain way or whatever so so i don't it's a very long-winded way of saying i have no idea what i'm doing
0: yeah you know do you do you find that i i always ask um this question to songwriters and it's it's really interesting is that do you think that it's a gift these songs that you write
1: yeah I mean, I think it is catching things in the moment, yeah uh, you know I'm sure you've had that experience like you might be just waking up or having a little nap or or an yeah. idea comes to you you're yeah. walking along or or something comes, and then five minutes later, you go, oh I'll remember that and five minutes later wow, I co- what was that amazing idea I had i can 't remember why didn't I write it down you know because I think things bubble up can bubble up from the subconscious, you know, sure um. And sometimes that's when the best ideas come, when you stop trying to think of something, it will just emerge. Mm-hmm. But there are other things to do. Like, I mean, we do, the base, you know, I mean, I practice meditation. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about this a lot of the moment, but, you know, just when we, meditation just allows us to dip deep inside of ourselves to the core, the root of who we are, the base of our being. And that's the same as, quantum level you know it's where all creativity comes from it's where the universe is being created from or where everything is emerging from so there's that kind of pool of infinite creativity that's at the heart of all of us you know um mm. so yes i mean if if we didn't understand that concept then it can appear as if some people are just naturally gifted and other people aren't but it's but it is accessible Mm -hmm. it's who we really it's who we really are it's who we all really are but Mm -hmm. it's just whether we've figured out a a way to access that or whether it's just kind of coming through and appearing as a gift yeah but i think some yeah there are certainly people that seem to be gifted because they've they've learned to have that more consistently Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's always that fear like i've written loads of songs and there's always that fear of like oh what if I can never find a great, a good idea again, you
0: know? <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, I, I, I'm, maybe that's all right. Cause, and you see that a lot. You see people that it, it's the youthful thing. Sometimes you see people very young who come up with this, these incredible things. Mm-hmm. And then as they get older, it sort of dries up and whether that's because they become jaded or they, they, Take too many drugs, or or they something happens where they lose that spontaneity, lose that kind of creative connection with their self. So I see that all I see that a lot, and I think we see that throughout history, where you know, um, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not saying I mean Paul McCartney is amazing because he's still you know he's 80 or whatever, but he's still writing and performing and creating amazing work. But having said that. If we think about like what him and John did when they were kids, essentially, yeah, they they just churned out amazing so, so, song after <laughs> amazing song. I mean, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It you know? is. Um, I mean, it's it's different. I think there are different stages of life, yeah, with different kinds of creative expression, um, and that's okay. And uh, I'm sure Paul's fine with that too. Yeah, uh, but what, you know, there's that kind of youthful energy that, that people can have.
0: What's it like for you? you know, you sit there and you work on a song and then you go and perform it for the first time. What's that feeling like for you?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like I, in an ideal world with the record I'm working on right now, I would write all the songs I've written uh, loads of songs and recorded about 15 so far, but I'm still writing more and still deciding what it's all going to be. But but it wouldn't it be great to sort of write a bunch of songs and then go and do a tour for a year and play those songs 200 times on a massive tour, and then go into the studio and record them. Right. Because you yeah. you would have kind of figured out, got all you know, figured out what was working, what wasn't. Like, Oh, that needs a different section here, or right. you know, the audience really loved that bit, so let's expand this bit, or yeah. whatever, or or I found myself in this part, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but we tend to we tend to make a record and then go out and perform it and that's it really so it's a I don't really know I mean yeah it's amazing when we can't always predict I think that's the other thing I mean sometimes I think I've written something that's okay but it sort of comes alive when it's performed live somehow something uh, magical takes over which isn't just about the song it's about intention behind it it's about how the audience responds to you can't always predict you know that's the strange thing about writing and and sometimes i think it's okay and then it somehow takes on a a bigger meaning because it's being performed in front of people it's it's something something else takes over so uh very different every time i think I'm and learning all the time, for sure.
0: You know who does that? And in, in not a musician, but a comedian, is uh, Kevin Hart. He, um, he, oh yeah, great. He, he
1: goes
0: he goes around for like a year in small clubs and and does exactly what you were talking about. Figures things out, you ah. know, audiences and stuff. And I saw him play at a small venue and. You're not allowed to tape it, you know they make you put your phones in these yeah. little things, <laughs> and so you can't uh record anything you know and he just works on his material it's super so still super funny, and then he goes to the yeah. next one and then he starts and then he does the huge tour you know where he does the stadiums and stuff and yeah you're you're yeah. you're right, you know going and performing those and kind of working them out prior to going in the recording yeah, studios it's amaz- super he's smart
1: amazing i mean. I heard Dave Chappelle got into trouble the other day. Um, we to, we're not going to get political, but I mean, it's just, you know, that all those guys are just geniuses and Dave is a genius, you know, yeah. um, but its, it's a, I can't imagine it's an easy time to be somebody who's that liberated in terms of like exploring his ideas in front of some people, you know, Um, because we're living in those times where you just got to use, everyone's being really cautious, you know, but as somebody who's on the edge in the way that Dave Chappelle is, like, Totally, yeah. Whoa, anyway, (laughs) I digress, but but Kevin, uh, Kevin's amazing, yeah, I mean, all those guys just, have so much going for them, it's a great idea, I mean, maybe, I'm actually doing four shows in January, in the kind of London, London and Oxford, just kind of the, we call it the Southeast, so just like the London area. Yeah. I'm doing four little shows, just like 200 capacity venues. And I'm calling it like a little showcase warm up mini tour, you know. And, and in in a sense, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing it to try out this material in front of an audience. Yeah. But I, I've already recorded a lot of the records, so <laughs> maybe I'll have to record the record <laughs> again after these shows. I don't know. So, oh,
0: man. So if people want to. F- uh... You know, this is coming out November third, right? The the Heavenly Cream Acoustic Tribute. Yeah. So that's coming out November third, and if people want to uh, buy that or find it somewhere, where would they go?
1: Yes, it's a, it's already available for pre order, and it's on uh, ProperMusic dot com, which is a okay. uh, music distribution company that the label are using. Okay. So they can go on ProperMusic dot com and type in Heavenly Cream and Acoustic Tribute to Cream. Uh-huh. And there is um the, the documentaries already available for streaming, I believe, but I don't know the details for that. But again, that can be Googled, I guess.
0: Is that going to be coming out um, on Netflix and all that kind of stuff?
1: Is it going to be Yeah, I think, okay. well, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be Netflix, but it's going to be, you know, there is quite, quite as you know, I'm little okay. sure bit of streaming yeah. of streaming services sure who they not sure who they with, cut I a it's with, but I think not wait to see
0: that. not wait to see
1: that. And, and, the, and the, and the uh, CD and download of the album comes out on November 3rd, but I think there's a double vinyl package that's coming out a little later in the month, around the 24th, around November 24th. So that's, if you're like the super audiophile kind of guy or girl that likes the vinyl type thing, yeah. that's also going to be available.
0: What about you? And, okay. and people want to find your, your uh, solo stuff. Where, where would they find your stuff at?
1: So I'm, I've got a, a very underdeveloped website that <laughs> needs <laughs> updating. But like uh, probably loads of people, it's like, it just got links to my social media. But um, yeah, Mal- yeah. Malcolm Bruce Okay. And then I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I'm even on threads, man. Wow, you're okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm a grown up now. <laughs> um, <Right on. laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I'm on all like social media and, and I'm just, updating stuff all the time um i'm going to be shooting some music videos uh some more stuff in the next period of time as well so so yeah i always appreciate the support people can
0: yeah absolutely follow
1: me man like me <laughs> i need to be like <laughs> right. well malcolm
0: hey it's an honor and uh I'm, i wish you the best man and thank you so much for being well, thank on, you guys yeah thanks for being on my podcast and um you know i'll look for oh, that well,
1: thanks for asking me and yeah maybe we can do it again when my record's out next year or something I'd really, i would love
0: that that'd be cool okay well let's plan on that for sure
1: Fantastic, man. Well, all right
0: buddy we'll take care and we'll talk soon all right it's a guy jeans podcast
1: A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination
0: for outdoor entertainment.